When I first started out in my curacy uh, after ordination at the Church of the Resurrection in Manhattan on East 74th Street, um, I learned a lot. Uh, I was there for about two years, and I uh, served under the rector, Father Swain. And uh, I guess you could say the, uh, the liturgy we used somewhere in there was the 1928 prayer book, but there was a lot of padding around that. Um, the, the book that you would see at the altar is actually called the English Missal, and I have one down in my office if you'd ever like to take a look at it. But essentially, it's got the, the prayer book kind of wedged in there around in between the cracks and crevices of a, an English translation of the Roman Missal. And not just any Roman Missal, but the pre-1953 Roman Missal, thank you very much. And he was very proud of that. And in fact, for our Easter and Holy Week services in the newspaper would be advertised New York's only pre-1953, you know, it really drew them in, you know, but, uh, but uh, it wasn't uh, just to make a point. Um, I, I asked him about this and I said, well, why did, why, what's so special about the pre-1953? And he said, well, in 1953, Pope Pius XII uh, he started monkeying around with the, the rubrics and the liturgy and he trying to organize them and make sense of them and to, God forbid, modernize them. And he said, you, you just can't do that. The church grew organically and you just can't make sense of these things. And if you were ever to participate in this pre-1953 liturgy, you would realize that it, a lot of it does not make any sense. Um, there are a lot of contradictions. Um, for example, in uh, Holy Week, on Maundy Thursday, we celebrate the institution of the Holy Eucharist. So in, for the whole time before that, we have not had the Gloria in the Mass. Then all of a sudden we have the Gloria and bells ringing wildly. And then after that's done, no more bells and we're back to Lent. So for a minute there, everything is white and there are bells and the Gloria, and then it's back to somber. So it, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, but you get the meaning after a while. And so his, his great point was that the church grew like a, like a plant grows wildly. And we're a part of that. And so I was thinking of that when I was reading the, uh, the epistle today to the Colossians. Because you see in Paul's writings a glimpse of this early part of the church. Where there's such enthusiasm and such fertile ground. And the spirit is moving across the face of the earth and transforming people's lives. And St. Paul writes to these different churches, and sometimes he scolds them, but sometimes he praises them or writes sort of love letters to them. Um, but it's, it's this encouragement, this fertilization, if you will, of this young plant. And uh, I just planted a week or so ago myself a whole bunch of uh, sunflower seeds that have been sitting in the garage for a long time, which I've been meaning to plant, but I didn't get around to, but they've sprouted. And they're about, oh, some of them are up to about four inches high now, depending on the variety. And they're doing pretty well. But they're still at that tender part of their germination where a lot of things can go wrong. And I went over to check on them the other day, and a two had been nipped off by some animal or other. And it's always a frustrating thing, being a gardener, to put in all that work and then find something nipped off. It's made uh, lunch by a chipmunk or a deer or something. But the rest of them are doing okay. And with time, they'll grow and their stalks will become uh, 
more coarse and they'll develop that sort of spiny fuzz on the sides of the leaves that tend to keep away the animals that would eat them. And this is what I'm thinking of when I'm thinking of this early church, that it's in this very sort of nascent stage where things can go wrong and St. Paul is there, this careful uh, guardian or gardener, if you will, to try to tend them and bring them into maturity. And you can see, if you take a wider step back and view church history, that this indeed did happen. These, these little uh, seeds that germinated eventually grew into a great early church. And then that plant sort of bore seeds. And we look at it as sort of a sad thing that, you know, in the early Middle Ages, we had the Great Schism. And so East and West kind of split and then developed in their own way. But I think that's a, a, a feature of you know, vast geography, very different cultures. So I don't think that uh, probably keeping the church all one thing was something that uh, could be done. I think we could experience unity amongst communions, and that's something that we should always pray for and work towards. But you know, we are all in our different cultures and different ways of expressing ourselves. Um, Episcopalians express ourselves in one way, uh, Syrian Catholics and Coptics and Southern Baptists all express themselves in another way. But as we sang in our hymn today, in Christ there is no east or west, in him no south or north, but one great fellowship of love throughout the whole wide earth. Now we oftentimes fall short of that, but that's our goal. And so even though this plant has grown and uh, given off fruit and seeds and plants in different other parts of the world. And you know, if you plant an apple seed, you won't get the same apple tree that the apple came from where you got the seed. It'll be something different. It'll still be an apple tree, but it'll be slightly different. And so despite that, it's, as I said, it's still an apple. And so though Christianity has spread around the world, and though we have different um, ways of expressing it, and though we are sadly fractured, yet we have this one root in common. And that root goes all the way back to our Jewish heritage. And we heard a little bit about that in the reading from Deuteronomy today, about loving God with your, all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. It's reiterated today in the gospel reading where the lawyer tries to test Jesus and if you come to one of our chapel liturgies, the chapel liturgies are always done in, uh, in the right one format. And in the right one format, the, the service begins every single time with something called the summary of the law. Hear what our Lord Jesus Christ saith, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all, with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. And, and the second commandment is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And Jesus says, on these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. And so that brings us to this gospel story today, which I'm sure is very familiar to you. Um, it's one that we hear from the time we're young and in Sunday school. It's a lesson we have. Uh, it's sort of a cultural touchstone, if you will, because uh, a good Samaritan is instantly recognizable, that phrase, good Samaritan, whether you're a Christian or not. Indeed, we have a hospital nearby called Good Samaritan Hospital. And uh, it's used in other forms as well. 
Uh, one of the largest churches in the Diocese of Pennsylvania is called the Church of the Good Samaritan, uh, sort of familiarly called uh, Good Sam. But you all know the story. A man was on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho on this treacherous road, set upon by bandits, beaten, robbed, stripped, and left for dead. And as if that's not bad enough, two people come by and pass his way, two people who are a priest and a Levite, both of whom are fellow Jews, both of whom are leaders in their community, both of whom should have stopped to help. But they pass by and pretend they didn't even see the man. But then comes a Samaritan, someone who is not like this man who was beaten up and robbed. In fact, the Samaritans and the Jews didn't get along at all. And if this man who had been beaten up had encountered this Samaritan in other circumstances in life, who knows? Maybe they would have uh, passed each other and given a, a sneer or, or the side eye. But in this case, the Samaritan is moved with pity because he doesn't see uh, a Jew on the side of the road. He sees a fellow human being who's hurt and who is in need of help. And so he bends down and first bandages the wounds and dresses them with oil and wine and then puts the wounded man on his own animal and takes him to a nearby inn where he cares for him and gives the innkeeper enough money to, to keep him until he's well and promises that if that's not enough, he'll come back and pay what's owed. And so Jesus asks the lawyer, well, now who do you think was the neighbor to this man? And he says, the one who showed him pity. And so Jesus says to him, go and do likewise. So this is one of, our, one of the commissions that Jesus gives to us as his disciples. The first and foremost, of course, is to go out into the world, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and making new disciples in his name. But there are also other commissions he gives us, to go and do likewise, to go and love. By this they will know that you are my servants, that you have love for one another. And so that is the root. That is this thing that makes it so that in Christ there is no east or west. It's the thing that unites us, no matter what branch of the plant we are on. I saw a beautiful a drawing, I think it was on Facebook, of a, of a large tree, sort of like a family tree. And all the different branches had sort of clusters of leaves on them. And they, uh, they showed the different types of, of Christianity and how they all came out of the same root. And so we're all part of the same plant. We all share the same DNA. And although we might have differences and uh, might not look or sound like one another when we meet, yet inside we are all servants of Christ. Inside we all have Christ as our guide. And we need to see him in other people as we encounter them, especially those who are least like us. And so we rejoice that though through human frailty and disagreement, the church has sadly fractured, and, and, and we, pray that, we pray for greater unity. Yet we rejoice in the great diversity of expressions of praise and thanksgiving that the church offers up to God every day throughout, the, throughout time until his coming again. And so let us always remember the story of the Good Samaritan and how it is the love of Jesus Christ and the greater love of God that unites us all across all countries 
and all classes and all everything else that you might put up to divide one another. And that if we look hard enough, if we have the eyes of Christ, we can see him in others and we can reach out in love. We can go and do likewise. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.